Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, we're both back in. We're both here for one day. Jim Garrity of National Review, of course, is here. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks to Greg Knapp for filling this chair for me for the past several episodes. And uh, for David French for sitting in for Jim all of last week. And again, for Thursday and Friday of this week. More on that in just a moment. But, uh, Jim, good to be back with you. How are you? It's good, you know. Look, we feel like we've been ships passing in the night, Greg. Um, I, I feel like I should call you real Greg uh, because <laughs> poor Greg Knapp. I kept calling him other Greg in our <laughs> conversations. Uh, but you know, look, this is uh, you know you've you've been out, I've been out, and uh, I will be at the NRA convention uh, starting tomorrow. So, listeners, cherish this moment. Uh, but then I think actually starting next week we're on relatively normal schedule. Yes, normalcy returns. Uh, as Warren G. Harding once said, uh, come Monday. So well, hopefully uh, everything will be back in gear then. Jim is headed off to the NRA convention later this week. If you've read the Morning Jolt today, you you know that. So you've been out. I've been out. You know who's not out? Convicted felons. But it doesn't mean that they can't... <laughs> But it doesn't mean that they can't vote, at least if Bernie Sanders gets his way. And then you got a whole slew of other Democrats to at least initially go along with that idea. And then when they had 30 seconds to think about it, several of them said, yeah, maybe not some of these people. They're pretty nasty. But Bernie Sanders, he's doubling down. He is not going away. Here's Ali Velshi and Shaquille Brewster on MSNBC following up on Bernie's call for currently incarcerated felons to be able to vote. NBC's Shaquille Brewster is with the Sanders campaign. In Massachusetts, Shaquille, good to see you. How are voter, uh, voters uh, viewing Senator Bernie Sanders' comments that felons should be allowed to vote while in prison? Hi there, Allie. And yes, I, I did get to speak to some voters, but I do want to say Bernie Sanders just wrapped up an event, and he is not backing down from this issue at all. I spoke to a senior campaign official who told me this is something the campaign plans to lean directly into. They see this as an opportunity to educate people about the Reconstruction era of restrictions on felons' ability to vote. So, Jim, this is the good martini because you think that this uh, is going to play very poorly for Sanders if he's the nominee and uh, whoever the Democratic nominee is if they Im- embrace this. Uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, perhaps following the, the lead of President Trump here, that he uh, always doubles down, never backs away. Uh, explain what you think the fallout of this is likely to be. Sure. Well, we've already seen some fascinating fallout from the other candidate who at very least expressed an openness to this on Monday night, Kamala Harris. Uh, as of yesterday, she's like, well, well, of course I support taking away the rights of prisoners. I was a prosecutor, for heaven's sake, um, which certainly was not the tone she was taking the previous evening when she said we need to have a conversation about this. As other Greg and I concurred uh, yesterday, we, we're ready to have that conversation. That conversation consists of saying the word no, <laughs> and then the conversation's over. Um, now, here's the thing. You can make... As I mentioned yesterday, there's a broad general support for various ideas of criminal justice reform. Uh, Listeners of this podcast have heard me discuss about prison anti-recidivism programs designed to put people on the right path when they get out of prison. Uh, Florida made its big decision last year to restore voting rights for felons. These are all cases of people who have gotten out of prison. Uh, The idea is you've, you've served your time, you've done your punishment, um, now we're trying to set you on the right path. You should get your your rights restored. And I think there's a the, the American public is open to it to varying degrees. I think it's an easier sell for nonviolent offenders than for violent offenders. And I think most people in the criminal justice reform movement 
want to start with that. You got to gradualism, incrementalism, uh, any of these changes get a little bit easier to digest when you don't make this big sweeping change. The question, which was put forth by a junior at Harvard University, was probably one of the toughest cases. I mean, that old saying, hard cases make hard law, hard cases make bad law. The right answer for almost any other Democrat is to say, look, I think certain felons who've done their time should, you know, uh, should get their voting rights reasons. But no, not for felons and sure as hell not for the Boston Marathon bomber and all these other terrible people. Bernie Sanders won't do this. They want to lean into this. They think this is a winning issue for them. <laughs> uh, and as other Greg noted yesterday, there's this great opportunity. You know, any any community that's had a serial killer, any community that's had some sort of notorious, horrible person who's serving a life sentence, you can run an attack ad accurately saying Bernie Sanders just believes this monster deserves to have the same right to vote that you do. And I just I think it's an enormously effective political message. I think this is a uh, wildly tone deaf moment. And the fact that Sanders doesn't see this as a weakness um, is just absolutely it's fascinating and kind of delightful for Republican odds in 2020. Um, you got to wonder if the rest of the party is kind of terrified. Certainly Pete uh, Buttigieg didn't want to have any t- any part of this uh, on Monday night. Um, but it's worth noting that, you know, Bernie Sanders is probably one of the two front runners at this moment. A lot of road ahead. But uh, it's not it's a conceivable scenario in which Sanders gets the nomination and Trump can just use this to carpet bomb him throughout all of 2020. Um, so, yeah, so this is a uh, fascinating moment. Uh, some Democrats are realizing that this is a politically radioactive stance, uh, but not Sanders. And boy, oh, boy, wouldn't that be kind of a, a fun a fun topic to discuss in the 2020 campaign, Greg. Yeah, I can see that coming up at uh, the Trump rallies on a regular basis if Bernie ends up being uh, the nominee. Uh, quick follow up on this, though, because I'm thinking about why is Bernie going all in on this, uh, even when others who are running for the nomination are backing away from it. And I go back to 2016 and the two things that cost Bernie Sanders the nomination. Number one, the superdelegates. And number two, he got crushed in states with high black voter populations. And so when you go back to what Terry McAuliffe was trying to do in Virginia and other places, I think uh, he is trying to tap into people who believe that their loved ones have been wrongly incarcerated or excessively incarcerated, and he's trying to boost the turnout for him from black Democratic voters. What do you think? Yeah, and it's, you know, um, I think that may, I'm not sure how much Bernie Sanders has thought this through, because this means at some point you'd be saying to those very same African-American communities, Yes, Charleston church shooter Dylan Roof should have the same right to vote that you do. Um, Look, you know, former felons, people who've served their time, I think it's a much easier argument. Uh, Once you say, you know, most people who are behind bars and behind, you know, like you've done something terrible. You've done something very serious. This is not a misdemeanor. uh, And you need to be punished for that. And one of your punishments is you don't get a say in who gets elected and what the rules and what the laws are going to be the way everybody else does. This has been this way in this country for a very long time. And no, we didn't see it as an unjust, even if you want to take it into the cases of less incendiary uh, examples than the Boston Marathon bomber. Leave it to Bernie Sanders to basically look at somebody like, I know it's a fictional, but you can use the, you can think of many real life counterparts. Look at Hannibal Lecter and say, <laughs> this is an injustice that this man does not get a, get a right, a chance to vote. 
All right, let's move on to our bad martini now, because allowing convicted felons to vote is is pretty bad, too. But uh, Larry Hogan is the Republican governor of Maryland, recently reelected as of November 2018, which makes him the first reelected Republican governor in a really long time. And uh, due to the fact that he's never been a fan of Donald Trump, at least not since Donald Trump announced his campaign for president, uh, there's a lot of folks who don't like Trump and still identify as conservatives who would love to see Larry Hogan launch a challenge to President Trump in 2020. Larry Hogan says he's not sure if he's ready to do that, says he's got a lot of time to do that. Oh, by the way, he said all this at St. Anselm College at the New Hampshire Politics and Eggs Breakfast. So uh, he's definitely taken a look at this. Here's a couple of clips from his uh, talk to folks up in New Hampshire. First of all, I love this one, Jim. Uh, He's only looking at this because he owes it to other people. This was not something that I was really focused on. Um, A lot of people have been approaching me probably since around the time of my inauguration in late January. Um, people have asked me to give this serious consideration, and I think I owe it to those people to do just that. And then he also went on to call, refer to Trump as dear leader in referring to states that are perhaps thinking about not even holding primaries in 2020 in order to uh, prevent the president from getting bruised at all in the primary. And I think uh, you and I would probably agree that uh, they ought to hold the contest. But uh, what do you make of uh, Larry Hogan still testing the waters here and for him to say, Gosh, I had no interest in this, but I just owe it to these random people who contacted me to check it out. You know, um, Greg, I guess this is a bad sign for weld mania. <laughs> uh, all those the clamoring team, teeming dozens of people uh, who can't wait to support William Weld in the Republican primary. Worth remembering that William Weld is uh, was the Libertarian nominee for vice president last cycle. Um, he has not been in office since 1997. Uh, and you look at the long list of Wells positions, pro-choice, um, really not the kind of, of issue profile that wins in Republican primaries. Um, Larry Hogan is a guy I think very highly of. Um, it's kind of sad to be here in Virginia with our embarrassment of governor. And no, look, look across the river and notice that uh, Maryland has a better and more conservative governor than we do. It's also worth noting that Larry Hogan is not a, um, you know, by no means one of the more rock-ribbed and, and further to the right governors in this country. Uh, in my profile for him, I guess about a year ago, I mentioned, you know, I described him as like a really good hockey goalie. Mostly what is it he does is he blocks good, bad ideas from the state legislature from becoming law. And, you know, Maryland is in better shape because of that. I, I, I don't quite understand. If he has presidential ambitions, I'm not quite sure why you wouldn't want to wait four more years, complete your term as governor. And if you believe that there's a more, there's room or there's a, oh, there's a lane for a moderate Republican in the presidential race in the future, then go for it. Uh, if you do it this cycle, you're going to get squashed. And maybe you provide an outlet for people who are frustrated with Trump. Um, my suspicion is that a lot of the, you know, Weld's not, you'll be lucky if he gets, you know, 1%, maybe 5%, maybe 10% in some place like New Hampshire. Um, but no, I don't see that there's this great groundswell for it. And, you know, this would also eat up a considerable amount of time in his second term. I think he would be uh, term limited. Larry, you know, it'd be like, what does Larry Hogan want to do with his life for the next couple of years? I'm not really sure what the upside is of taking on Trump. In a primary challenge that we all know has almost no chance of victory. And the other thing is, look, maybe I'm prejudging this. Maybe I'm, you know, uh, looking down the road and and projecting what I think. But look, we've seen what happened to John Kasich over time. The guy who was once chairman of the House Budget Committee and considered pretty darn conservative. Um, Eventually, you turn into one of those John Weaver candidates named John, (laughs) either John McCain 
or John Huntsman or John Kasich, and you become the Republican for the kind of people who don't like Republicans. Uh, you become the furthest left person in the primary. You all of a sudden get invited on The View, and Joy Behar says, what a great guy you are. Uh, the New York Times editorial board says, ah, if only more Republicans could be like you. You end up becoming the kind of Republican, Greg, that a lot of conservatives call not a Republican. <laughs> You know, the kind of sensible moderate who says, oh, those conservatives are so terrible. And I just don't see, you know, Larry Hogan seems like too good a governor to let that happen to himself. So uh, depressing. Maybe this is all flirtation. Maybe this is just designed to, you know, it's kind of fun to get invited up to New Hampshire and have everybody think of what you think of all the issues and stuff like that. But uh, look, it sounds like Hogan's still seriously considering it. And it would be, I think, a, a wrong turn in an otherwise promising career. Yeah, the Washington Post story on this is a little bit contradictory, and I think it's based on what he's said. Quote, he said he would do so, uh, possibly that is run for president, even if he could not see a way to win. In the very next paragraph, he added, though, that he was not going to launch a suicide mission. I'm not sure what you call it if you have no chance to win. Um, I mean, he literally doesn't want to die. I think that's the... (laughs) And then the University of New Hampshire poll, uh, as of April, uh, for the Republican primary in the Granite State, Trump at 76 percent, Kasich 10, Weld 5, Hogan 1. When you're only a tenth as popular as John Kasich and a fifth as popular as William (laughs) Weld, you really need to rethink this. Those numbers could shift around. Uh, I think between those those three people, I think uh, I find Hogan the most appealing. Um, but uh, you know, that means you're even if you consolidate that, your 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 ceiling is about twenty four percent. I don't think, and New Hampshire is considered one of those states that's considered kind of moderate, independent. The other thing is also like the philosophy you might have is like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to run and I'm going to count on the independents in uh, New Hampshire to to you know give me a real burst in the early primaries. Well, most of those independents, I figure, are going to vote in the Democratic uh, Democratic primary. If you're independent in uh, in New Hampshire, you can vote in either one. You either you know you can uh, weigh in whichever one. I think the Democratic fight would be much more interesting, much more exciting, a much more wide open contest. So why would you park your vote on Hogan or Weld or Kasich when you can weigh in and support somebody in the Democratic side? So I just I don't I don't see any of the strategy or philosophy here, unless your gig is to you know you want you want the Huntsman package and you know end up with a gig on MSNBC. All right, let's go to our crazy martini now, Jim. And you will be at the NRA convention, but uh, you'll be distracted a little bit of that time because (laughs) Thursday night kicks off the first round of the NFL draft. Friday is the second and third round. And, um, well, the the Jets are uh, in in pretty good draft position. The Bears are a little bit further down. Um, But now there's a big controversy. There's a big controversy for the social justice warrior correspondents over at USA Today. They've got two of them now because Christine Brennan wasn't enough. They've got one named Nancy Armour. And uh, her opinion, Nick Bosa's lack of conviction worse than his conservative views. For those of you that don't know, Nick Bosa is a very talented defensive lineman, played for... Ohio State University missed most of this last season. He kind of got banged up early in the season and then decided just to sit out the rest of it to not hurt his draft stock. So I'm not usually in a position where I defend Ohio State Buckeyes, Jim, but darn it when the social justice warriors do this, I really don't have much of another choice. So here's what she says. Nick Bosa's lack of conviction is far more bothersome than his political leanings. The defensive end could still end up as the number one pick in the NFL draft Thursday night. More likely, though, the Arizona Cardinals will take Kyler Murray and Bosa will go to the San Francisco 49ers. 
which is where the politics come in. Bosa is unabashedly conservative in his views. He has praised President Donald Trump and retweeted posts celebrating the administration's achievements. He has criticized Colin Kaepernick, calling him a clown. But Bosa has deleted most of these posts and toned down his opinions in recent weeks to the point where he almost seems to not think or care about anything besides sports, his family, and his favorite band. I had to, Bosa told ESPN.com in a story published this month. There's a chance I might end up in San Francisco. And therein lies the problem. Let's set aside the sheer pointlessness of his efforts, given that anything said or done on the Internet never goes away. Bosa is probably correct in thinking his right-wing views wouldn't go over well in San Francisco, one of the most liberal areas in the country. He is probably also right in fearing that some San Francisco 49er fans wouldn't embrace him because of it. But that shouldn't matter. Not if what Bosa has posted, and likely said in conversations with friends and family, is what he actually believes. She's very upset that he's going around and deleting old tweets, basically saying that he's doing it because he can't defend his position. She goes on to say that our personal beliefs are just that, personal, and Bosa is entitled to his. But as a star athlete, he also has a platform, and with it comes a responsibility to be both authentic and informed, as well as an obligation to own his actions, decisions, and yes, his opinions. Jim, I thought his obligation was to stay out of jail and to tackle people, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Greg, I want to point out, I noticed you did not use the the in front of the Ohio State <laughs> University. I just want to warn you that if you find yourself within the legal limits of the city of Columbus, Ohio, and you do not use the the in front of the Ohio State University, um, the mascot Brutus will jump out from behind a tree and throw things at you. Just warning you. Uh, so, look, I, I, I'm going to shock you a bit here, Greg. I think that this column is completely right. Uh, I think there's an extraordinarily compelling case. And the simply, simply the best and safest and most appropriate scenario is that the San Francisco 49ers, the second pick in the 2019 NFL draft, should not pick Nick Bosa. Now, <laughs> coincidentally, this would leave him there at three for the New York Jets, which happened to be my favorite team. And oh, by the way, Nick Bosa is supposed to be arguably the best outside linebacker pass rusher in the draft. And hey, people might say, hey, Jim. <clears throat> That seems like a really awfully self-interested analysis. No, no, it's not. It's a purely objective. <laughs> now, let me point out, if things do not shake out that way, and the Jets happen to pick, say, uh, Josh Allen, the outside linebacker from uh, Kentucky. I, Greg, if, if Josh Allen, or as, as we call him in New York, the good Josh Allen, as opposed to the bad Josh <laughs> Allen playing for the Buffalo Bills, if Josh Allen says, I love Bernie Sanders... I don't care if he can get to the quarterback and get us a good 10, 12 sacks a year. It, it's this, you know, on the one hand, this is a manifestation of the ludicrous over-politicization of everything in life. And this idea that, by God, we could never have a, an outside linebacker who has a Trump supporter of a San Francisco port. Bench him. Let the, don't tackle that guy. Run past it. You know, the idea that, you know, as a football fan, you'd root against somebody because they have the wrong point of view politically or something. Um, is absolutely wild and ridiculous. Having said that, Greg, if this leads to better talent slipping down a little bit further to the draft uh, for the Jets, then I completely support this hyper-politicization of everything. Um, and so you know, that's, that, that is my, my nakedly self-interested uh, assessment of this otherwise ridiculous uh, controversy. All right. Jim, good to be with you. Bye, and I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in when David French is in for Jim. I'll be here as well Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.